Welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 111, entitled All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. And I will just hop right in now to the Wikipedia summary of the episode. In flashbacks, Jack is operating on a dying woman. His father, Dr. Christian Shepard, who was originally performing the operation, steps out of the shadows in the OR to tell him to call the time of death. Jack gives him a look and coldly tells him to do it. Later, Christian requests that Jack sign a form which will officially state that the woman's death was an accident. Jack knows that Christian was drinking before he operated on the woman. Christian also says that if the hospital board finds out, it will end his career and his life. At a board meeting, Christian delivers his false statement while Jack looks on. The board reveals that the deceased woman was pregnant which Christian admits to knowing previously, unbeknownst to Jack. Horrified, Jack tells the board that his father was operating under the influence of alcohol and says that this impaired his judgment and led to the chain of events causing the woman's death. On the island, Hurley continues trying to explain that one survivor, Ethan Rahm, is not listed in the passenger manifest. As Jack and Locke run through the jungle in search of Charlie, they find three distinct sets of footprints, and realize that Charlie and Claire have been taken. As Jack begins shouting their names, Locke motions for him to be quiet. Jack, Kate, Locke, and Boone set off to find their companions. Following footprints, the group eventually finds one of Charlie's knuckle bandages. Jack and Kate go off to trail Charlie, while Locke and Boone continue on the original trail. During a rainstorm, Jack and Kate become separated when Jack tumbles down an embankment after hearing what could be Claire screaming. When he comes uh, to the bottom, Ethan confronts him, warning that if they don't stop following him, he will kill either Claire or Charlie. Jack and Kate follow Ethan's path once more until they come across Charlie, blindfolded and hanging by his neck from a tree branch. They cut him down, and Jack furiously performs CPR. Despite Kate's pleas that it's a lost cause, Jack does not give up. Charlie eventually comes back to life after Jack helps him. At nightfall, with Jack, Kate, and Charlie back at the caves, Charlie reveals that it was Claire that Ethan had wanted all along. Meanwhile, back in the jungle, Boone and Locke are somewhere, still searching in the rain, when they discover a piece of metal embedded in the ground. The metal appears to be hollow, and they begin removing mud to find out what it is. With that, let's move on to get my various thoughts of the episode. Um, for starters, I just love that they dare to actually start mid-scene, given that uh, the cliffhanger from last week's episode really did end mid-scene. You know, this really is, in many sense, a two-parter, and they just pick it up and go. 
Um, I know that that's something that um, they may have taken a cue from uh, uh, from Alias that some of the ca- some of the crew uh, had worked on. I guess some of the cast as well, because uh, um, Terry O'Quinn, uh, who of course plays Locke, had uh, uh, was on Alias for I don't know, six or eight episodes, something like that. Um, but anyhow, this idea of kind of stopping one episode mid-scene with a great cliffhanger and then just picking it up, uh, something that was done quite a bit early on in Alias, and they do it to perfection here. Um, there's some really excellent camera work early on in the episode, too, uh, as as uh, Jack and Locke are searching for Claire. Uh, the camera is shaky, it's chaotic, and it, it makes the audience member feel like part of the scene, not just a passive observer. And, I mean, nor should we feel like a passive passive observer this is probably the most blazingly shocking start to an episode thus far i mean i guess to be fair with the exception of pilot part one and (laughs) and a massive plane crash on the beach i I guess that was a tad more shocking but certainly in the established uh uh, form of the show this is a a shocking start indeed the fact that you know someone's been taken there's this force out there there are these other people and uh they've just stolen one of our one of our heroes uh, the um, the teaser portion of the uh, of the episode ends with Locke quieting Jack. Now, I, I really don't mean to to belabor this idea that Jack is a lousy leader, but does it take a genius to figure out that yelling at this time is a bad idea? One guy, Ethan, has taken two other adults, and one is a fairly strong man. Granted, Charlie is a little short, but you know he's not. Some you know incapacitated geriatric. He's a, a he could certainly fight back in a live or die situation like they're in. And I mean, granted, Claire isn't in a position to be running a marathon, but you can't carry a kicking and screaming, screaming pregnant woman while Charlie is attacking you. I think that the average person certainly could not do that. This is a charged situation. This is a there's a lot of unknowns to it. And Jack wants to literally run off in the jungle just screaming, and he figuratively wants to go off do it, doing it guns a-blazing. Just, if we run fast enough and fight hard enough, we'll be able to stop him. It's, it's, it's ridiculous what Jack is trying to do. And he, for much of the episode, it's just go, 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 go. And I understand that it's within the context of him as a character and within the context of this flashback where he always was pushed forward to do the right thing, but... This is a bad idea. We don't know, upon first viewing, um, who, if anyone, is helping Ethan. There potentially could have been other bad guys. If there's the, this one bad guy who wasn't on the plane, there potentially could be more, we might assume, on first viewing. If there's somebody helping him who was you know, barely at the edge of, uh, at the, edge of the jungle and that no, none of our people ever saw this helper and potentially their Locke and Jack are, are uh, outnumbered. Um, but uh, anyhow, just to wrap up this thought, I mean, it's, it's crazy for Jack to be wanting to just run off and yell and go handle it with force. Um, and frankly, Locke sees that as well. And that's why he quiets him. And that's why he, you know, feels the need to circle the wagons and come up with a plan. And there you go. For once, I'm not making fun of Locke as a ineffective, uh, as an ineffective leader or fake guru or anything like that. So there you go. Um, anyhow, moving on to the first flashback scene, uh, which is the one where the woman dies in the operating table. It's very, very darkly lit. 
um, when I was first rewatching the, you know, when I was rewatching this episode um, for the podcast, I had wondered if if indeed they weren't in an operating room, either set or or real location or whatever. I had I was thinking that you don't really see an operating room. Certainly during that particular operating scene, you don't see the room. You see the table, you see the lights, you see some heart monitors in the background, you see doctors and nurses. Um you don't you really get the sense in that scene that it's uh that it's an operating room. Now, to be fair, the next scene it does appear perhaps they're filming in a in an actual hospital. Um I doubt I mean, I suppose it could be a set, although I don't, I don't think that it was a set, and here's why. Um, toward the end of the series, I, I don't know, maybe we was seeing some of the behind-the-scenes stuff online. I don't remember where I saw it, but they said that they had, the show had two sound stages. One was the wet set that had uh, the caves now, the running water of the caves. Later on would be the looking glass station. Uh, even past that would be the temple. And the other set was storage for the sets that they were going to use, right? So I guess the entire wet set soundstage wasn't the caves, but behind the caves they might build um, oh, you know, a, an office set or, or whatever might be needed. So I don't know. I kind of suspect um, that they – I don't know. It's, not, it, it's like they're not showing off the fact that it's an operating room to the degree that it appears that they're hiding it, but I – suspect they wouldn't build one when it'd probably be easier just to go out and shoot in one but anyhow this is certainly this podcast isn't dedicated towards uh, musing about the lighting of sets and possible set construction um moving on there's a fantastic wonderful amazing acting moment from john terry who plays christian shepherd when he says that his hands weren't shaking uh pardon me first of all he says his hands weren't shaking um during the operation but then lets it spill by saying that um they skipped jack they skipped calling jack upstairs in order to get christian who was in a restaurant having lunch and as soon as he says that he realizes that the cat's out of the bag restaurant lunch probably drinking his acting moment is his eyes just squint up slightly because he's just realized oh i said too much because now jack is gonna connect the dots between um at lunch in a restaurant and drinking um it's a really nice moment i mean he clearly is such a big part of the uh, of the show john terry is as, as one of the key um one of the key uh guest uh, guest actors that that returned throughout the entire series so um anyhow moving on it's never occurred to me before despite watching this episode tons and tons of times um but Jack's charging ahead, despite all the the evidence otherwise, uh, the evidence to or the you know suggestion to track carefully, to rest when needed, etc. That's the same kind of bullheaded storming on ahead business that Christian does in the flashback. Christian ignores the fact that his hands are shaking when he had a three martini lunch, and I'm imagining it was a three martini lunch. Um, just as Jack ignores that you shouldn't run into a gunfight with a knife, so, so to speak. Um, so there's a you know, nice bit of symmetry there between father and son. Um, as a side note, and this is another common complaint that I have in the podcast, uh, where they're kind of rehashing in the middle of the episode, I'm mildly annoyed that they show Charlie making his L-O-S-T bandage, his knuckle bandages, 
They show that in the previously on Lost, and then they show him doing it again as a quick flashback once they find the first bandage. I mean, really, guys, I mean, they, they basically show the exact same clip. There's not some extended director's version of him coloring in the letters and selecting the tape, and it's him writing Lost. Um, um, oh, am I saying Lost? It's uh, late. The bandages say late, not lost. Uh, I do apologize, and I've lost all my, uh, all my uh, losty cred here. Um, but anyhow, they show the, the 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 key issue being the they show him making the bandages, updating the bandages, both in the previously unlost segment as well as doing a quick flashback. I mean, not even a flashback in the in the sense of the show, just as a quick you know show you doing it. Oh, this is the thing we just found. Come on, we're not a stupid audience here. It's it's not... I mean, we got it, guys. We got it. Um, with that, uh, continuing some rehash. <laughs> there's now, like... There's that bit of rehash, then there's a um, little bit of a rehash scene. But for once, they kind of... Um, they build on it. So, here's a clip. Take a listen. Who got taken by what? Charlie and Claire. I think Ethan took them. Ethan took them. Yeah. Took him why? And who the hell's Ethan? I don't know. He wasn't on the listing. The manifest. You ever think he might have lied about his name? It's stupid to lie about your name. <sighs> Alrighty, Tattoo. Where do you think Ethan came from? Maybe he was already on the island. Before we were. <laughs> Got yourself one hell of an imagination, kid. There could be lots of other people on the island. So a tribe of evil natives planted a ringer in the camp to kidnap a pregnant girl and a reject from VH1 has-beens. Yeah, fiendishly clever. The best thing about that clip is that here they are planting the truth in the open. And it's a truth that we don't necessarily... I mean, I, I think the, the only conclusion that you can reach at this uh, point, based on what you've seen in previous episodes, is that... Uh, Indeed, there are these people on the island who weren't on the plane crash. But it's not an immediately obvious thing to, uh, to the, the, the castaways, certainly, despite what, uh, what Said has told them. So it's just nice that they, you know, they plant the truth right there in the opening. And then, of course, too, there's the, uh, there's the added bonus of Sawyer kind of musing out loud uh, why you would... Um, why you would uh, might want to change your name um of course it doesn't really address the issue of how it is that um sawyer's name you know the name sawyer was not on the uh on the uh the flight manifest and how quite how they got around that fact um that that i discussed last week but um just finally a little bit of rehash and it does the story some good in that there's speculation out loud and um and truth, too. It's not kind of some of these phony baloney, wondering out loud sort of things that the show uh, occasionally will do just to keep you guessing. Um, with that, let me keep you guessing, and here's the next clip. What do you do in the real world, Mr. Locke? It's John. John? Why don't you guess? Well, you're either a taxidermist or a hitman. <laughs> I was a regional collection supervisor for a box company. A box company? 
really uh, really kind of nice comedic ending to that. Um, and I, I suppose it speaks too to kind of this sense of uh, the people that they are on the island aren't aren't necessarily the people uh, the people that you might that you might uh, think that they would have been. Although, I mean, as I say that, I suppose Locke is the only exception. I mean, otherwise, well, I suppose Hurley too. We don't know that Hurley's a gazillionaire. Um, but otherwise, everybody basically is as they seem. Um, so, anyhow, I mean, it, it certainly is a nice little twist, given that we know so much about Locke. It is, um, it's easy for us to know to, to, to know that he uh, comes from this mundane world because we've seen it. Um, certainly, it's understandable how, how Boone wouldn't. Uh, I also love in that clip, too, did you notice that Boone asks, what do you do? Present tense. And Locke says, I was, in past tense. And, of course, he also says it with such disdain. But um, certainly there's this notion of Boone, um, or the notion that Boone has that this is just a temporary uh, a temporary inconvenience, them being on the island, or a temporary situation, but that their lives are kind of waiting for them out there and are, uh, w- will be resumed uh, at some point. Whereas uh, clearly Locke's mindset is uh, this is the new reality and this is the reality that, that does not need to change. Um, moving on to uh, another clip. It's Jack being just absolutely pleasant, lovely, uh, understanding of his common, uh, you know, common people around him, and um, well, take a listen. Down. He said they went this way. I think they went this way. I'm not as good at this as Locke is. So where'd you pick up the tracking skills, Kate? Was that before or after you were on the run? I'm trying to help, Jack. You know what might help? A little honesty. Just give me something real, anything. My dad was in the army. It's like, Jack, can't you be nice just once at all? Here she is tracking the bad guy, which her ability to track allows the group of four to split up two different ways, which is of huge uh, benefit given that one of the two groups may be on the wrong path. I mean, certainly both potentially might be, but if if there's been a genuine fork in the road, you now can do something that a smaller group cannot safely do, which is still have two people together to be taking care of each other. Two go this way, two go that way. Why are, why are you so mean, Jack? I don't know. I mean, I know it's the daddy stuff, and that's, you know, all the best cowboys have daddy issues is the name of the episode, but goodness gracious. Why are you giving her crap, Jack? It's just not fair. It is just not fair. Moving on to uh, some equally pleasant uh, characters as Jack. Um, Christian certainly is set up to be the bad guy by the flashback. And that's understandable, of course, right? I mean, I certainly wouldn't wish a three-martini doctor on anyone during any sort of surgery. That said, we can't truly know if the woman that he was operating on was going to die anyway. Does Jack throw away his father, his father's career, and in a sense, ultimately, his father's life over something that Jack thinks is the right thing to do? He does. But, you know, again, I'm not saying that what he did was not objectively the correct thing to do, but was it necessary? Is, was Jack steaming off in the wrong direction in that flashback, and just as he is... Um, 
you know, not not headed in the right direction, not giving the proper thought in how he's tackling this situation. Um, again, I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to uh, to defend the character of Christian Shepherd, who uh, in this episode, at the very least, does not give uh, the best care or even the best minimum care. I mean, an, an unskilled surgeon can still give the best minimum care, which is the best that they can give. Uh, unimpaired by drugs or alcohol. Uh, so, you know, Christian is not giving the best minimum care to this woman and her unborn child, but the fact that Jack would kind of hang him up over this without any definitive evidence one way or the other, and I know it's not a medical show and it, they're not dedicating uh, tons of time to a, you know, a proper medical analysis, but to me there's a bit of a gray area. That's all I'm saying. I won't, I won't uh, defend Christian anything beyond this. Uh, moving on, the uh, the addition of Walt doing so well at backgammon, it was an odd little scene. And it was an odd scene because of the whole idea of this podcast looking back once we know everything. Because, I mean, this this business of him doing so well at flashback, at, at flashback, my goodness, at backgammon, that plus the upcoming Walt flashback and the business with the birds that are um, somehow drawn to him, um, to me, it's just very, looking at that as a whole, though, looking at those bits of Walt, um, it's suggestive that they really did not know what to do with him. We've talked before how the show was put together very quickly. I won't repeat any of that ad nauseum. Um, I believe, though, Walt was originally the orphan boy, and somewhere along the way he became uh, you know, the boy with the estranged father and so forth. So, I mean, just to, to kind of review here, Walt can roll die with luck, and he can attract birds, and he gets abducted. For what? I mean, to me, that's that's at least at my you know, as my recollection, that's kind of the extent of the Walt character. I mean, yes, I you know, it makes for some good TV, and certainly Michael screaming Walt uh, is memorable from the season one uh, finale, but. To me, the exit, nothing against uh, the the actor, certainly, but to me, the exit of Walt from the series is a welcome one. It's just, he's the piece that perhaps uh, least fits in um, in the overall scope of the show. And maybe they knew that to a certain degree. Um, if the show is going to go on for six seasons, uh, or certainly if the show, if they had hoped that the show was going to go on for multiple seasons, but not progress at one at a one season per year type pace, right? Like the first season takes forty days, the first forty days of the crash, and uh, somewhere by the time you get to uh, the freighter, you know they they've crashed in September and it's uh, it, it, it's Christmas. There's the Desmond episode. Uh, oh, it's the Constant, the, the Desmond episode, the Constant. Um, that's Christmas Eve, I believe that he's that he's calling Penny. Uh, so that's September, October, November, December, and that's what the constant is either season three or season four. My memory is uh, a bit poor here. But certainly you understand my point that Walt was never going to be in the big picture if they're moving at such a slow pace and the kid has to, you know, grow up and all that as, as a person in the real world, not as a character. But um, anyhow, moving on. Um there's uh, there's a nice touch, nice kind of production touch, uh, with the rain coming as they start to approach Ethan. There's a tool in literature called pathetic fallacy, 
which is where weather can can foreshadow what's happening. It's the standard, um, uh, you know, uh, oh, this doesn't look good, and then the storm clouds roll in, that sort of thing. Um, it's and it's the same thing here. The bad weather tells us that there's some bad confrontations ahead, and uh, certainly that con- that bad confrontation is the beating that Ethan uh, gives Jack. Yeah, I mean that's a no nonsense beating right there. So foreshadowed by those storm clouds indeed um moving on a bit the first time i saw this episode and i have such a such a distinct memory of this the first time i saw it i truly thought that they were going to be killing charlie i bought it i bought that they had killed off charlie um maybe not 100 percent, but i certainly bought the possibility for as long as we're supposed to think that it's possible um Obviously, as a huge Charlie fan, I hated the idea. Um, but, I mean, just the way that they pace it, it's not kind of the standard TV show, you know, you know, uh, do CPR, do it for 20 seconds. Come on, live, damn you, live. And then the person wakes up. They do a whole CPR, CPR going on too long, Kate freaking out, it not working. They, and then, you know, it, it's backed up by the music, the editing, the shot choice, etc. And... Um, then only once Jack starts to beat his chest again does it really um, is it that moment of kind of Charlie coming back. But it's it's they sell you on this idea that someone someone can die that a character can die. And what's the big irony here? They are telling the audience, "Hey, Charlie almost died because we're serious about death on this show." And in this episode, of course, it, the seeds are planted for Boone's shocking show altering death. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a nice touch there. I don't know that they had committed to killing Boone at this point, although certainly the wheels are in motion in retrospect. But here they're saying death is serious. Death can happen on this show. And at the very end, of course, they find find the hatch. But we'll get to that in one or the the, the first bits of the hatch. But we'll get to that in in due course. First, though, let's uh, do a quick clip. Anything that you can tell me about what you remember, where you were going, did you see or hear? I didn't see anything. Hear anything. I don't remember anything. So the episode essentially ends at that point. I mean, not in in reality. There's still a bit more, which will be discussed in a moment. I have a clip and whatnot. But in terms of the narrative of the show, the the episode is essentially done at that point. Um, certainly, the the effect of that uh, clip and that that uh, ending of that particular storyline. Uh, well, I mean, obviously Claire is still out there, so it's not uh, not done done. But the the ending of this week's uh, musing on that storyline is just that with Charlie not remembering anything, it's strengthening this huge question mark of the others. Who are they? What do they want? What are their numbers? What's their story? Uh, it's just uh, 
unlike last week's cliffhanger with Ethan, where we knew so much, wasn't on the plane, was already on the island, and all that that implied, even though that's not that's not much. There, there was a lot that we knew in that moment of chaos. Uh, with this, there's just, where are they going? Who are they? How many? What do they want? Why the pregnant woman? Why do they, here they clearly were almost killed. What's up with that? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what we have from the end of that clip you just heard to the end of the episode proper is essentially it's a, it's a postscript or it's a, it's a prelude to what's to come. It's the introduction of so much. It's the introduction of the hatch, first and foremost. It's opening the door, the hatch door, almost, almost literally, to Dharma, to the 70s time traveling, to uh, workman, to the van, to Dharma food, to it, it, it's all here. It's all about to be introduced. And it starts with Kate's ironic quote that Boone is safer with Locke than anyone else. And to me, I, I wondered before, did they know that they were going to kill off uh, Boone um, at this point? That line there, that line tells me they're at this point. They could still back up and not kill Boone, but this is where they're saying, we're, uh, I think we're going to kill Boone off. Um, so f- from that point, there is the, here's a final clip to, uh, that, you know, that is the, the end of the, uh, the end of the episode. Boone, you need this more than I do. Steel. That be part of the plane? Part of the wreckage? This is the beginning of so much, as I said. And I know, too, in previous episodes, I've said, uh, this is the start of the show. That is the start of the show. They're, they've put behind the, uh, the, put the beginnings behind them. This is where it really is, uh, really is getting serious. This is where the show that we know is happening. This is, as I said, this is the door opening to so much that we know. This is, aside from the monster, this is the first departure of people trying to survive on the island and maybe there's other people there too this is the first i mean you're sitting there going what could it be they haven't shown us too much it just does appear to be as the wikipedia summary said it appears just to be uh, a piece of metal in the ground and i think many people upon first viewing would just look at this and say well fine so there's a chunk of metal in the ground and if it didn't come from the plane it's just whatever that's weird there's a square hang on, how, how big a square of metal could that be but, of course, if you put yourself in, in the shoes of anybody who might find that, you'd be curious enough and start digging and start digging. And then you quickly realize there's something bigger here, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, just, uh, it's like, 
we're on the roller coaster and we've we, we've spent uh the beginning uh doing some twists and turns but now it's that click 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 and we're we're really taking it higher to uh to the next level of the show um but for this week's episode we uh have gone as far as we can go uh, i hope that you join me next week for episode 112 and that episode is what is it? it's uh whatever the case may be which is a kate episode um as i recall rather okay kate episode not necessarily the most uh mind-blowing one but we shall uh slug through it together dear listeners uh a reminder that new episodes hit the website on fridays iTunes on Saturday, and the Lost Podcasting Network, usually over the weekend, uh, depending on whatever Ryan's schedule is. Um, certainly uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, you can say hello at, uh, to me on Twitter at Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to Looking Back at Lost, uh, all spelled out, all one word, Looking Back at Lost at gmail.com. And the aforementioned webpage is Looking Back at Lost.podbean.com. And last but not least, you can. Uh, Find uh, these episodes, leave a review, etc. on iTunes, where I am, of course, looking back at Lost. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, It's just always lots and lots of fun to be going over these Lost episodes with you. So take care, one and all. Bye-bye. Red shirt. Huh? Red shirt.